0: Hola, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in the middle of a developing tourism town? Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Like most people listening, I had a steady job, lots of stress, worked my ass off so I could enjoy vacations. One day, I came to the realization that I needed to embed myself into a vacation permanently. So that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town on the Pacific coast with a population of about 15,000 people. I have a small sailboat charter business which pays the bills and leaves a bit left over to cover my habits. And even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this. 36-year-old Texas guy and his two trusty Labradors are transplanted into a developing country. And they're trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. These are the stories of what life is like. Some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. And I promise you,
1: this stuff can't be made up. Love you, baby, now you know I can. Be the one to be, your man. Love your mama, now you know I do. Anything in the world for you to have. Loving from my baby's eyes. See the loving in my baby's eyes. See the loving in my baby's eyes. Loving in my baby's eyes. Love your mama now, you know I can love you better than another man can. Love your mama now, you know i do anything in the world for you to have loving in my baby's eyes. See the loving from my baby's eyes, see that loving from my baby's eyes, loving from my baby's eyes. Late at night when I take my rest, oh I hold your pictures to my chest. Love your mama now, you know i do anything in the world. I have loving from my baby's eyes See the loving in my baby's eyes See the loving in my baby's eyes Loving in my baby's eyes Love you baby, love you darling Honey, now you know I'm due Love you darling, love you baby Do anything for you take my rest, oh, I hold your to my love you, mama, now you know I do
0: in San Juan del Sur we have these wonderful things called chicken ladies and if you've ever been here you know exactly what they are but most of you haven't been here so what a chicken lady is is just an old Typically, it's an older Nicaraguan lady, or not older, maybe middle-aged, like um, mid-50s. And they get out in front of their house, and they have this makeshift grill that someone has built out of usually a 55-gallon drum, and they grill chicken, beef, and pork on it, and they serve it to go with gallo pinto, which is rice and beans, and your choice of a um, plantain prepared in two different ways. One way is cut real thin, and then fried to make like a chip, and another way... That's what they call maduro, which is like um, it's, they take a plantain when it gets older, it gets sweeter, and they grill it, and it gets soft and kind of sweet. So you get your choice of meat, gallo pinto, and then your choice of plantain. And they also serve like some cabbage salad that's like a little vinegary along with it. And it, all that for like $4, I think, four fifty maybe. And it's, it's plenty for two meals if you stretch it out. And it's one of my favorite meals in San Juan. Not because it's like the best food, but because it's good food. It's it's decently good enough, and it's super fast, and it's super cheap. And so it's a pretty frequent place that I eat. Once a week, probably. And there's a couple of them throughout town, and everyone has their favorites. And right now, my favorite is a newer one that no one else likes, but they're missing the big picture. Her chicken's way better. She gives way more rice and beans, and she's friendlier. But the funny thing about these chicken ladies is that Whoever's cooking and preparing and getting the boxes ready to go is not the same person who takes the money. And the same scenario applies in the market whenever you go and like eat breakfast from the market, from little restaurants. There's always an older lady, and by older, this time, I mean like 70. And so not old, but not middle-aged, so older. And she's sitting in the chair, and I imagine it's probably the lady who's cooking's mom or aunt or someone like that. And so she's posted up in a chair. They always have these these little aprons on with these ruffles along the bottom, and they keep all the cash inside their apron. And so they act like the cash register. Whenever the lady that's preparing the food takes the money, she goes over to the cash register lady and exchanges the money, brings the change back, and gives it back. And it's so funny because I think that the ladies who take the money are really the ladies who run everything, you know, Behind the scenes, and they kind of tell them how to cook and what to do. And sometimes, if you ask for a substitution, they'll go over there and they'll ask those ladies. But it's always a funny phenomenon. You can walk up to one of these little places, any of them, and you can look and you can pick out the cash register lady. And the other night, Zach and I were looking for Chicken Lady for dinner, and he's got his favorite, and I've got mine. And he was telling me why he thinks his is better. So I said, okay, that's fine, we'll go to yours. So we go there, we get back to his house, we both open up our boxes. And I said, man, I'm sorry, I just can't agree with you. My chicken was like this little shriveled up, dried up piece of chicken breast jerky. The gallo pinto was all old and the chips were all stale. So no longer will I go to any of them except my favorite one. And the other day I went there and I didn't go there specifically to buy a chicken plate, but I I wanted to figure out where I could buy these things called naka tamales. And they're similar to... a." tamale that you would have like a mexican tamale or other kinds of tamales in texas but they're a little bit bigger and they're wrapped in banana leaves and actually they're about three three to four times the size of a regular tamale and on the inside they have rice a little bit of vegetables and normally pork and so i stopped chicken lady to see if she had any because they're hard to come by no one like restaurants don't serve them it's kind of like a tamale, but they're just, they're harder to find. And they only eat them on the weekends. So they start making them Thursday. And if you don't track any down by Friday afternoon, you're not going to find any. So it was like a Thursday night and I asked her where I could get some. And she's like, oh, I'm out. Normally I make them. And I said, well, who, who's got some other good ones? And she's like, no, none of them are as good as mine. And so I said, okay, I know, but where can I go get one of them right now? So she told me where, and I drive back down this dark alley. It was a pretty sketchy area next to this old club, like a dance club, that stays open till 4 a.m. It was like one of those real shady places that you don't go to and you recommend people not to go to where there's shady individuals and in the busiest time is when all the other bars shut down. That's, it's called the Crazy Crab. If you ever come here, you'll know it. So I go there. I find the little house that they told me that where the people were. And I ask them, I say, you got any Naka Tamales? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got two, and I brought them home. I gave one to Felipe, and I ate the other one. And I've now decided that somebody needs to start serving these things to the gringos. Because they're it's good food. It's very cheap. They're like less than a dollar a piece. And, and one of them is plenty for a meal. You're not going to be stuffed, but... It'll definitely satisfy you and keep you going. So I may or may not open up a little tiny Naka Tamale stand where gringos can go buy Naka Tamales any hour of the day, any day of the week. And I have some ideas, so stay tuned for that. I'll let everyone know what ends up happening, but I think it could be fun. And more importantly, I'll know where to go get a Naka Tamale any day of the week. The other day, I walked into a little store that we call a pulperia, which is, uh, pulpa means octopus, so I don't know where that comes from, but anyway, a pulperia is a little store, like a convenience store that just sells random stuff, but there's one or two in town that kind of angle towards gringos, so they'll go to Managua, buy all the gringo stuff, come back and sell it, and mark it up. So I was in there the other day, looking for something, I don't even remember, oh, I think the market was closed, and I was just buying some chicken breast, so... I walked in there and behind the counter is an older lady that has been running this, I think both of these two famous potpourri or the two, two most popular ones are owned by the same family. And so there was a lady behind the counter, you know, and I was waiting for her to ring up my stuff. I had like some chicken breasts, maybe like a couple of soft drinks or something. I don't know, but I had like two or three things. And so she was behind the counter with one of her employees explaining to her how to work the price gun, like the little gun that dispenses price tags that you put on everything. And I'm not joking. She sat there and gave a lesson to her for probably six minutes. And I didn't want to say a word just because I wanted to see how long this was going to go on. And that's not the point of the story. That That was kind of a funny thing, and I'm used to it. But the, the, what really struck me is how... In Spanish, a lot of people don't—they don't have words for things that we have in the states, and so they'll take a random word that resembles or is similar to the object they're trying to describe and use it. So, in this particular case, the older lady was explaining to the younger lady how to use the pistol. But I think in English, like unless you were unless you worked for a company who like specifically made different types of pricing pistol guns or price dispensing pistols you would you probably wouldn't call them pistols you would say like a price gun or you would develop a word or a pair of words that like is a little bit more of an accurate description i've noticed that with several examples but this was the biggest one or the, the most recent one that i saw and so she was like yeah when you when you point the pistol you do this and this and referring to the pistol the pistol the pistol and I just thought it was funny how it wasn't like the price gun or the tag maker or anything like that, but just a pistol because it looked kind of like a pistol. Not, not, not exactly, but it's got like a little handle and you pointed at things. I've also noticed the same thing about like equipment. That they call everything a machine. Everything's just a machine. It can be a four-wheeler and they'll call it a machine. Or it can be a furnace in your attic and it's called a machine. Or it can be a bulldozer. It's called a machine. And so it's always funny to me, and I'm going to start keeping track of some more of these examples because right now I can only think of two, but I guarantee you it's true. And if you talk to anybody that knows anyone from the Latin culture, Mexico, or anywhere south, they'll agree with me. So if you deal with Mexicans frequently or anyone else from the Latin culture, think about that and see if you agree. So it's time for a pig update. Here's where we are on the pigs. After last go around, when I thought we were feeding the pigs too much, I go to Ronnie and I talk to him. I say, hey, you, you got to cut it down or feed them too much. He said, okay. So he, I'm assuming he cut it down because I went out there a couple of days later and they were extremely skinny little pigs. So I was like, man, how much did you cut them down? He was showing me, and I was like, you know what? Let's just feed them. Let's just make them fat, whatever. Like, I'd rather have some good pork. So I got a call from my buddies who owned the brewery in town, just a little brew pub, craft beer, Gringo's, and they said, hey, we're we're brewing some beer. We're going to have 250 pounds of grain when we're done. Do you want it? And I was like, oh, yes. That'd be awesome. So they call me. I run in there. We pick it up. Me and Ronnie grab it, and we bring it back, and it's still hot. The grains are still hot from, from boiling them. And Brendan, my buddy who owns the brewery, was telling me that, hey, you need to either dry them out or feed them all to them, like, right now. And I said, well, there's no way that they can eat them all right now. There's only, like, four little pigs. There's 250 pounds of grain. So I was explaining to Ronnie that we need to dry it out. He did not want to do it. He didn't want to do it because he thought we didn't need to. And he was like, no, no, they'll eat it. They'll eat it. And I said, no, it, gets, it ferments, and it gets nasty, and it gets really stinky, and it's going to be all kinds of flies. I said, we really need to dry it out. So he finally agreed to drying it out and you know 250 pounds of grain I'm thinking that's gonna last a long time because 200 pound bags of feed lasted like six weeks something like that maybe eight weeks and so I buy some plastic we spread it all out I put all the grain down and two hours goes by and it gets dark didn't dry so we scoop it all up put it back in the buckets next morning I go out there Ronnie's got the plastic back out. He's got the grain spread all over the plastic, but there's only about half as much grain as there was. And I was like, Ronnie, where's, um, where's the rest of it? He's like, No, I fed it to the pigs. I was like, You fed all that to the pigs? I was like, 125 pounds of grain. He was like, Yeah, yeah, they loved it. They loved it. And I look out there, and these pigs are stuffed to the gills. They look like Thanksgiving turkeys. And they had huge, the bellies were on them, and they were all lounged out sleeping. And I said, they ate all that. So I got there and looked in their bowls, and they still had a bunch left. But he had put half of all that grain out there. And part of me thinks it's because he did it because he didn't want to fool with drying it all out. So I didn't say anything. I was like, oh, whatever. The next day I go back, and all the grain's gone. So four pigs, probably like 50 pounds apiece, went through 250 pounds of grain in like 36 hours. But they are looking good. Even though they're at a really young age, I can tell they're going to be tasty. And the other day when I took Ronnie with me to Rivas to get more pig feed, we stopped at Burger King. And, well, at first we couldn't decide. I asked him, I said, have you ever been to Burger King? He's like, no, no, I've never I've never had Burger King. And I said, well, would you rather have Burger King? or Would you rather go to your favorite restaurant here in Rivas? Of course, he'd said, oh, I don't care, whatever. It doesn't matter. Anything, whatever you want. It's fine with me. It doesn't matter. So I said, okay. So right there by the Burger King. So I said, okay, look, we're going to Burger King now, and the next time we'll go to the restaurant that you think is the best restaurant in Rivas. He said, okay, perfect. So we walked through the front door, and he didn't know that we were supposed to go stand up at the front and order. So he kind of just stood back, and I walked up there thinking that he would just follow me up there, and I could kind of say, okay, what, you know, what do you want? He didn't even walk up. He stayed way back by the, by the door, and then he sat down in a little booth. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go ahead and order for him. So I ordered like a double Whopper, double cheese, king size, like the biggest Coke you can possibly get. And early, Well, earlier that day, Ronnie told me that he had sent his wife out of town to go to her mom's house, and he gave her all the money that they had to go help out her mom. And so I was like, well, what are you gonna, how are you going to buy food? He's like, oh, no, i got plenty of rice and beans. And that's how they are, man. They'll eat rice and beans three meals a day, and they'll live on it. And that's what he, he's fine with doing that. So I bought him the gigantic lunch, and I told him, I said, you're going to need this. I said, all you guys' rice and beans, I said, eat as much of this as you can and take the rest home. And he just kind of laughed about it. And I'll be darned if that little man, and, and Ronnie's about 5'4", maybe, I don't know, 145, five, one fifty. And he's got a little muscle on him, but he's no big man. And he devoured every single bite of that meal and every single ounce of that Coke. And I'd be willing to bet he could eat another one because he didn't even slow down. But it was funny to see him eat it. And he, he thought it was delicious, and I thought it was terrible. It, wasn't even, it didn't even taste like Burger King from back home. Like The meat was no good. I thought it was going to be like a little taste of home. And I think I've talked before about eating breakfast there and being dissatisfied. Well, I had to try lunch, and I tried it, and I won't be trying it anymore because it's not Burger King. But Ronnie loved it, and that's what I cared about most. So we got him stuffed, brought him on back home, and I suspect he posted up in his plastic chair and took himself a little siesta. I also wanted to talk about the names that Ronnie gave the pigs. When I was explaining the names that I made up for the pigs to Ronnie... I explained them all to him and he didn't know who any of them were. He didn't, he never even heard of Adolf Hitler. So I said, okay, Ronnie, I think you should name the pigs too. So you can have the names that you want and I'll have the names that I want. And I said, but remember, we're going to have to kill them one day. So you don't want to name them anything that you wouldn't want to kill. Hypothetically speaking. And so he goes, okay. And And he sat there for a second and he thought, and I was like, you got some names picked out. And he goes, yeah. And so he started naming things that were, it was either Ismail or another word that he calls Ismail. <laughs> all four pigs were named Ismail, transvestite, which he says travestin. So that is also Ismail, And el gay, which is the gay. <laughs> and I can't remember the other one. I think it was like homosexual or something like that. But they were all four names of Ismail. And Ismail wasn't even around. He was just busting on Ismail, And so Ismail came over, and I explained to him the names of all the pigs. And he thought it was funny, but he wanted to name them Ronnie, 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 Ronnie. <laughs> all four Ronnie. So he didn't have the creativity that Ronnie had. But they both wanted to name the pigs after each other. They're like a couple of high school kids. The other day, whenever uh, the the guy came over to give some injections to the pigs, like some vitamins... At least that's what they tell me they were. I don't know. But the box said vitamins. So Anyway, the guy comes over. And by the way, this guy charges $20. I had to buy the injections. I think it was $7 for the injections for all four pigs. So for $20, this guy comes over, and he knows how to give them to him, where to give them to him, the frequency of which they need to be administered because there's more than one shot. So five trips he made to the house to give four pig shots for 20 bucks. Over the course of like six or seven days, and that's a steal. So anyway, whenever that guy was leaving, Ismail was giving him a ride home on his motorcycle, and so Ismail was like, uh, you know, he went to give Ronnie a high five with his right hand, and then when Ronnie reached up, Ismail reached down with his left hand and tried to smack him in the bullseye, right in the crotch, and Ronnie just turned and popped Ismail right in the shoulder with his like a right hook. And before you knew it, man, they were boxing. They were getting ready to take each other to ground. So I stopped them and I said, no, stop. No, no wrestling. Take that man home. Ronnie, you go back to work. And we'll do this later. <laughs> but they really are like little kids. And I think they're both like 35, 36. But it's very cool to see them act like kids. And honestly, I think more adults should act like kids. I mean, obviously there's a time and place for it, but... Act like a kid when you can. It's not going to hurt anything, especially if no one's around that, that cares. I mean, kids have more fun than adults, I would think. At least they seem like they do. So I went to Managua yesterday, and I got a couple of stories to report on. It was me, Zach, our friend Gio, and our friend Chris. And Gio had to go to Managua to run a bunch of errands. And he said, hey, we're going to go to Price Mart. And I said, okay, I'll go. So we rode there, went to Price Mart, ran some running around. But one of the places that we stopped was called Autonika. And they're like the, the main car dealership in Nicaragua. They sell new and used vehicles and all the parts and everything. And they pretty much have the market cornered for Toyota, Hyundai, Mahindra, and a couple other brands. So Gio had just bought a truck and he stopped in there to have something looked at, some warranty deal and do something else and so we get there and I'd been here once before they have some random boat parts too and like boat engines and stuff like that so we walk in I kind of start browsing around the boat parts and then I remembered that we're looking for like a, a small little 14 foot fiberglass boat and so I walked outside where they had some boats sitting out there and there it was a small little 14 foot fiberglass boat and so I walked inside and said I found somebody and I said, hey, I'm looking at that boat out there. Uh, Is there someone that can talk to me about it? Tell me how much it costs. So she gets on the phone, starts calling different people, different offices, can't find anybody. So then she just looks at me and goes, no. And I go, no, what? She's like, there's, you know, tell me in Spanish, there's nobody here that that can talk to you about the boat. I said, okay, well, I'd like to buy it right now. And she kind of looked at me. She's like, uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and then she goes and gets the manager. Manager comes back. I'm like, "How much is the boat?" He's like, "Well, I don't know." And I said, "What if I want to buy it right now?" He's like, "We can't. We can't sell it so we can get somebody here that that knows the price of the boat." And so I said, "Okay. How's how long will that take?" And he was like, uh, "You have to go to the other location." And he wrote down a guy's name on a sheet of paper. He said, "You got to talk to this guy." And I said, are you certain that this guy will know how much the boat is? He said, yeah, yeah, he should know. He should know. So we go to the other location. Luckily, Geo had to go there, too, so it wasn't an extra stop. We go to the other location. I walk to the front door. The first person I see, I hand that sheet of paper and say, I need to talk to this guy. And they said, well, he's not around. What can I help you with? And I said, oh, I need to know the price of the boat at the other location. I explained it to him. He just kind of looked at me had no clue what I was talking about. I don't think he was even aware that there were boats for sale at the other location. So I was like, okay, when will this guy be back? And he's like, oh, he should be back from lunch anytime now. And I said, okay. So we kind of just start browsing around. And as I'm looking around, I count how many people are working in this place. And it's not a gigantic car dealership like you would think of in the States. The store is probably... Half the size of like a Bucky's convenience store. So think about that in size. Maybe in total, it's like 8,000 square foot building, but I counted 58 employees, 58 people, all like buzzing around, walking around, texting on their phones. Some people were sitting in front of computers trying to look busy, but it was typical. I mean, there's so many people in there. It was almost intimidating. I walked up to a parts counter where they sell parts for like Toyota vehicles. And there was nine guys all sitting at the counter and nine girls like all standing behind the guys texting on their cell phones. And I have no idea what the girl's job description is, but they were back there. They were on standby. So I walked up to the counter and I finally get the guy who comes up to talk to me about the boat. And he quoted me a price and I was like, okay, you know, we're still looking. I think it was like $3,800 or something. I was like, okay, we're still looking. That's, that's a little bit high, but I'll let you know. He's like, okay. And then, so we're kind of walking around still waiting for geo. They have a bunch of motorcycles for sale. We're looking at those. And then the guy comes back to me. He goes, I can do it for 3,100. And I go, "Mm, okay, I'm still going to think about it, but Thanks. Another 15 minutes goes by. We're still waiting for Gio. The guy comes back up to me. He's like, so are you interested in buying the boat? And I was like, what's the best price you can give me? And he's like, no, no, you tell me. He's like, I already told you two prices. So I go 1500 He's like, oh, no, 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 no. And I said, look, we're really not serious about buying right now. I said, whenever the time comes, we'll come here and hopefully we can strike a deal. But I was just curious to what they were cost. He's like, okay, I'll make a good deal. I'll make a good deal for you. So he's already come back once, and I have a feeling he'll come back off the price again. And so if I can't find one used, that's definitely going to be the place where we go. And I suspect that the day that I buy that boat, if I do buy it from them, I'm going to have a long, long, long section of a podcast about it. Because I think that... If you buy something from them, I would be willing to bet you will deal with no less than six people. All have these little tiny little jobs. And the only reason I can think that they do that here is because labor is so cheap. That it's cheaper for them to have people who maybe aren't as skilled or aren't as qualified and just divide up the work into tiny, tiny, tiny little jobs. Because that's, that's what happens. And if you go to AutoNika, you'll see it. Another stop that we made was at the sporting goods store. Uh, it was in it's like an old mall called, I think, Metro Centro, which was the first mall in Managua. And Gio said it was built sometime in the mid to late 90s. So that's where you go for all like, the, the stuff that you might need, but you want it to be a lot cheaper. There's another place called the Galerias, which is like a really nice mall. Well, to them, it's a really nice mall. But it's kind of like the upper end, more expensive stuff. So Zach needed some art supplies. And we needed some stuff for the boat, like those big floaty noodles that you can float on, and a football. That's all we needed. And Geo and Chris needed some ping pong balls for their hostel. So Zach goes into the art supply store. Me, Chris, and Geo go into the sporting goods store. And we were kind of in a hurry, so I said, "Look, where's the footballs?" And they showed me that we, they had two footballs, small and large. I said, "Okay, we'll take the small one." I said, "Do you have any floaty noodles?" And he takes me back over to the corner. There's an upright box full of noodles. And so I said, okay, how much are the noodles? Well, we don't know. Okay. Can you find out? Yes. Five minutes goes by. It comes back $3 and 40 cents a piece. And I said, okay, I'll take all of them. And he kind of looked at me. He's like, you want all of the noodles? I go, yeah, yeah, I want all of them. He said, okay. And I mean, there's only 12 of them and we put them on the boat and those will be gone in three weeks, probably. So by that time, Chris and Gio had found the ping pong balls that they needed. And so we said, okay, here we go. From the time that we gave this man all the products that we wanted to buy to the time we were walking out the door was 14 minutes. The guy had to hand write out the receipt or, or the invoice, calculate everything with a calculator. And this was like a pretty nice looking place. I mean, it wasn't big. It was a small store, but they have all first world equipment and all the brands and everything that you would think of, but they definitely do not have the computer system infrastructure to work up an invoice. I can't imagine if there had been 10 people in there because we were the only ones in the place. Yeah. So it took 14 minutes and I don't know what I, I would just wander around and look, come back and check on him. It'd still be writing away and I cannot figure out for the life of me what took so long because on the receipt, there was like three items, football, Noodles, quantity 12, and ping pong balls. And I just, I don't get mad anymore. I just think it's funny. So, as we were walking around while he was working up the dissertation of an invoice, Zach had his little bag of art supplies that he had just bought from another store. And they walk up to him, and keep in mind, we're the only people, there's four of us in the store, and there's probably seven employees. And you can see the entire store from one spot. There's nowhere that you can like hide and no one will see you. But they go up to Zach and they're like, "Um, you need to leave your bag somewhere where we can see it. <laughs> he just kind of looked at him and smiled. And he set his bag up on the counter. And I thought to myself, you better reach in there and pull that receipt out of there. Because if something comes up missing, you'll want to you'll be able to show him that you just bought it. And about that time, Zach reaches into his bag and he pulls out the receipt and he walks off. And I was tempted to go over there and sneak out some of his supplies and see what happened, but I didn't do it. But it's just so funny that they they get caught up in their policies and procedures that they can't they they don't want to make decisions outside of the box. If they've been told to tell someone something, rest assured that they will tell you that. Now, if you give them some resistance or you put up some fight, it might change a little bit. But they definitely just assume that everyone's a thief and that everyone's trying to rip them off. It's so funny because that's really not how we, well, how we were raised. That's not how you are. You don't just assume that people are going to steal stuff because typically don't, people don't steal stuff, and I just only can assume that they must have stuff stolen all the time. If not, it seems like kind of a waste, but it's entertaining nonetheless. Here's the update on the residency. So the documents that I needed were never found. Supposedly some attorney in town has them, but we didn't have any, I don't know. I couldn't get in touch with the guy. He didn't call me back. I emailed him. So finally I just let the lady who's working on my residency get her attorney friend to go to the courthouse in Rivas and pull the documents and make some certified copy. And that's going to cost a little bit of extra money. But it's going to save me some headaches. So I'm being told now that two, three more months is the time frame. And I should have my residency. And then I can be a real person in Nicaragua and not a tourist scared of the cops. Because when you have that residency card and they jack with you and you show it to them, they give you like a little bit more respect than they would if you just show them your passport or Texas driver's license. So that's the residency update. I think that's going to wrap up today's show. I'm leaving Sunday For a few weeks to go to Seattle for a couple nights and then I'm going up to Alaska to hang out with my buddy Steven so I probably won't have anything up between now and then but I guarantee when I come back I'll have some stories I'm supposed to sit down with someone and do a guest interview tomorrow but I'm not going to say who it is or anything else because I feel like that jinxes it but either way that probably won't be up until I get back from Alaska so thanks again for listening, Life in Paradise podcast. Check out our website, NikaSailandsurf.com. Thanks again. Keep it tranquilo. The
2: bluest skies you've ever seen are in Seattle. And the hills, the greenest dream in Seattle. Like a beautiful child, growing up free and wild. Full of hopes and full of fear. To last the years in Seattle In Seattle When it's time to leave your home And your loved ones It's the hardest thing a boy can ever do And you pray that you will find Someone warm and sweet and kind But you're not sure what's waiting there for you the bluest skies you've ever seen are in seattle and the hills the greenest green in seattle like a beautiful child Fire smiled by the look in her eye Set of pine trees in the air Never knew a day so fair It makes you feel so proud that you could cry The bluest sky you ever seen are in Seattle. Charge!